to Rise Up For You, a unique podcast dedicated to uplifting women in their day-to-day life, but open to all to enjoy and share. My name is Natalina, the founder of Rise Up For You, through interviews with various experts and professionals on relationships, investing, self-worth, entrepreneurship, love, and health. This podcast is committed to empowering and spreading knowledge and motivation to all. Rise up for you, be better today than yesterday, and prepare for a greater tomorrow. This is Netalina, the CEO and the founder of Rise Up For You. Thank you for joining me today for this episode. It is going to be an amazing interview with our guest, Linda L. Awad. She is the author of Graduating from Google Leadership Lessons. Now, I read her book about a month ago, and I had to have her on. This book is amazing, and I encourage you to go out there and purchase it. She talks about her personal leadership journey through Google, and she really breaks down what it truly means to be a leader. And being somebody that spent a lot of time in the corporate world, I couldn't agree more with what she talks about. Before she chartered her own course as an entrepreneur and author, Linda served as a head of industry at Google, where she led a sales team and helped advertisers develop digital marketing strategies across platforms to connect with consumers. In her previous role as a senior account executive, Linda helped advertisers grow their business through digital marketing consulting. Prior to that, she was also an analysis manager for the automotive and entertainment verticals at Google. Linda developed data insights including query trends, search benchmarks, and growth opportunities across both industries. Her book is amazing, and again, I encourage you to go out and buy it, Graduating from Google Leadership Lessons. I'm so excited to dive into this interview, and I hope you enjoy. So rise up for you and enjoy this episode. So Linda, I'm so honored to have you on the show. I always like to start off by letting the audience get to know our guest. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thank you, Netta. And I'd actually like to start by saying I'm truly honored to be here as I fully support your company's mission to empower women to be the best they can be. It's really amazing work that you're doing. Uh, But getting back to myself, so currently I am an author and a consultant. I consult with both businesses and individuals to help them achieve their goals. But I started my career long ago in Ford Motor Company's customer service division, where I really gained hands-on experience tackling problems and working with people and their problems. So with that as my foundation, I, I took my work to the next level by earning an MBA from the Harvard Business School. And that really was an extraordinary experience to help establish a broader business perspective. People from all over the world were my classmates and every interaction was an opportunity to learn something about people and cultures and and business in in addition. And then finally, I had the privilege of working for Google for several years. And that's where I really learned about working with people. It was almost as if I had gone to school for an additional degree exclusively in, in people management. And it was truly a privilege. And that's what's brought me here today now talking about leadership. So what was that like? First off, let's backtrack just a little bit (laughs) when you and I know you talk about this in your book, which I love. And we're going to talk more about when you got that call from Google that was inviting you in. What did that feel like? First off, 
it felt surreal and I, I actually didn't believe it was true. <laughs> the first time I, I received a, a message from Google inquiring if I'd like to speak with them about opportunities, I, I thought it was spam, but yeah. <laughs> luckily I, I took it seriously and, and pursued it. But the reason I was always attracted to Google was because of the culture. And, and we read a lot about this and we hear a lot about this, but I, I think un, until you speak with someone who's been at the company, it's it's hard to really understand. And the amazing thing about the culture there is that it, it was really a selfless place. Everyone genuinely cared about helping each other, but at the same time, everyone was very highly motivated to succeed. So there wasn't this fear of helping others. You know, a lot, a lot of companies, unfortunately, people are afraid that if they help someone else succeed, they're going to hold themselves back. But at Google, it truly was the opposite. It was a place where you could help somebody, and in doing so, you were helping them and the company and yourself in return. And it just made for a very collaborative environment. Now, having said that, anyone who's worked with people in retail or in any business knows that working with people presents its own inherent sets of challenges. And there are different ways to, to deal with that, some positive and, and some negative. But the beauty of Google was it gave me so many opportunities to experience positive ways of working with people and positive ways of turning problems into solutions. And that, in turn, made everything so much more fun. I think that's such an incredible point that you make there because um, you're right. So many companies and corporations don't do that. And it does come from the top down. So, you know, if your top leadership and administration and, and the corporation are really promoting and encouraging, you know, that positive atmosphere and that culture, it's only going to make it that much better for the company and for the employees. Um, I know I'm, I'm sure that you've talked to many people that just go to work and they feel really, um, they don't feel great about their job. They feel like the culture is very negative and they feel like they're basically just pushing through every day. So absolutely. Yeah. So that's amazing that Google promotes that. So you wrote this book, um, you wrote this book, graduating from Google leadership lessons, and I read it and I love it and it's amazing. And I encourage everyone to go out and buy it. What inspired you to write the book? Was it something that was formulating the whole time that you were working at Google or was it more of an afterthought, um, about, you know, everything that you learned and then putting it all together? That's a great question. I, actually, not something I ever thought about while I was with the company. But ever since I started working at Google, everyone wanted to know what it was like to work there. Once I made the mistake of taking a Google-branded water bottle with me to the gym, <laughs> and I actually could not complete my workout because so many people would approach me even though I'm plugging away on the elliptical machine with headphones on and they would stop me to ask me what it was like to work there. So I, I quickly discovered that there's this strong desire for people to want to know what it's like, but at the same time, I also recognized that there was a, a big lack of awareness about what really made the culture so special. But it wasn't until I left the company that I really realized there was an opportunity to educate people about it and to teach them something deeper that they could use both in their professional and, and personal lives. And after I became a mom, I personally felt so grateful and a strong desire to help others and just try to make the world a better place for our future generations that I suddenly realized there, there was a way for me to give back to, to the world by sharing the lessons that I learned from Google. And that is what then inspired me to write the book. 
I, I love that. I love that you that you're basically paying it forward. You're taking the knowledge and you know, you're putting it out there so it doesn't just stop with you. That's, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, so your book has so many great points. Um, (laughs) I don't even know where to begin. I'm just trying, there's so much in there. Um, but there's a couple that I really want to talk about that resonated with me. There was one particular moment where you were working really hard at putting together a presentation and one of your coworkers wanted to present on that instead of you, but you had done all of the work. You had done all the legwork. So, you know, we have a lot of, you know, particularly women that listen to this podcast and many of them have been in this situation where they do a lot of the legwork, but then somebody else kind of takes over to present it or maybe takes the credit for it. How did you respectfully let that person know that, that you're the best fit and you should be continuing with presenting? That's a great question. And I've actually had a lot of people talk to me about that incident in particular after reading about it and say they found that to be a defining moment in their careers as well when they were finally able to take a stand about something like that. And for me, I had experienced something similar during my automotive days and I made the mistake of not confronting it at the time. So I always had that sort of regret inside of me, and I had vowed to myself that I would not let it happen again if I, I was ever in a similar situation. So when, when I found myself in, in this predicament, I realized immediately that I, I had to confront the situation early on because when you're in these types of, of conflicts, if you don't address it, you're, you're setting a precedent. and it's not just about this particular instance, right? But then it's about how you're going to work together for the remainder of your career, how you might be perceived by others in terms of, you know, your ability to take a stand as a leader. So immediately there was no, no question in my mind that it had to be addressed. Then came the question of how. So I decided to take the approach of, you know, okay, you have publicly made it clear you're going to make this presentation, but I want to make it clear that this was my work and any such presentation moving forward, I will be involved in. And by approaching it that way, I I gave, I gave the other person a little bit of an out because I, I still gave him an opportunity to participate in this particular presentation, even though he really didn't deserve it. And he took a very defensive approach and, he ended up, when you take a defensive approach and get emotional, it, it makes it very hard for you to really control the conversation. And I knew that I needed to remain focused on the objectives and not get emotional. So when he was able to be emotional, I was able to remain control. We were easily able to come to the conclusion I desired, which was for me to, to present. And he had just backed out and that problem never occurred again. But I, I think that's really the key when, when you are confronting these situations. You One, you have to do it quickly. You can't let things fester because then the, the problems will just get worse and you're setting a horrible precedent for yourself. And two, you have to really remain focused. So, you know, some for some people that means doing a little bit of prep work first. I mean, I say that I, I tackled the situation quickly, but I still took time to gather my thoughts to make sure that I actually talked through with with a friend and, and mentor to make sure that my points were all logical. Sometimes when you're emotional about something, you can't see things as clearly and you need an extra set of eyes. So I did my homework before I went into the conversation so that I could remain objective and, and focused on the issues. And I think that's what really enabled me to to succeed. And 
then after that, it was much easier to confront any potential problems. But you just got to get over that first hurdle, and and you'll find you'll find satisfaction and an ability to move forward, and you'll find people will respect you a lot more too. I think that's really important what you said about emotional versus logical, and that's another point that you talk about in your book. And so many of us make that mistake, right? Like we get really emotional about it, our feelings become really consumed, and then next thing you know, we're talking more from a place of you know from our heart opposed to really just getting down to the point. Um, How do we, what are some best ways, I guess, to get over that? Because it really can make a difference. I mean, when I first started in the corporate world, when I was younger, I I had my mentor, as you said, read my emails like over, you know, like, can you just read this for me and make sure that it's not emotional? Can you make sure that it's (laughs) just getting to the point and I'm not putting any of like my, you know, intention or anything behind it, that's really just getting clear intention and to the point. So I know you mentioned to really um, think about it, maybe give something to you know, to your mentor to read or whatnot, anything else that you can tell us to really, I guess what we call it is it's not about you. That's what I've always learned. It's, it's not about you. So anytime you're in that situation, being able to take yourself out of it and just look from the outside in. Absolutely. And this is where I think self-awareness is really key. So I believe that everybody has some way that they can release tension or emotion or, or whatever it may be. And for some people, you know, it's musical, it's singing or playing an instrument. For some people, it's you know, sitting by the beach. For some people, it's hanging out with friends. But everyone has something that they feel helps them release uh, emotional buildup or, or whatever it may be. For me, exercise is, is one of them. So one of the things that I would do if I found myself in a challenging situation that I still do, quite frankly, is... I will, I will actually let it sit for a little bit. I know that in today's world, we're pressured to respond to everything as quickly as possible. Mm. And you can see the email wars just flying away. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's witnessed one of those in the company at some point. But there are times where you really just have to let things sit. I mean, it, even if it has to sit for an hour or two hours or even longer, it, it's okay. You can read the situation and figure out what buffer time you have. And then go do that release. So, you know, if exercise is your thing, then go take a walk around the building. If if it's musical, then sort of put your headphones on and, and find a great YouTube video that you just love and you can sing your heart out to or whatever it may be. But I, I think you need to know little ways that you can sort of release that tension, that emotion And then once that's gone, all of a sudden there's just a sort of clarity in your mind and everything comes much easier at least for me personally. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I was just thinking about some of the times that that had happened to me, um, you know, when maybe I received an email that was very emotional and initially you want to respond right away in defense, but I really had to, I had to shut the laptop and go, go for a run. Like you said, working out is also something that I, that I do to release that, but you have that urge and you really want to kick back and then you have to stop yourself. (laughs) So, and I think we're programmed to, you know, when you take a lot of leadership classes, they tell you, yes, your natural response is fight or flight, but it, it doesn't have to be so black and white. You can still respond. You can still take a stand. You just need to give yourself a little bit of a breather 
so that you can do it appropriately. Right. You want to come across respectfully at the same time and keep your integrity. And I think that's why it's so important to kind of step away. Throughout the book, you show so much confidence in yourself um, just through all the stories. And that's the one, one of the things I love about your book is that every lesson is tied to a personal experience and story that you have. And there's really a lot of confidence that, that comes from you and your different experiences. Is this something that you think was um, encouraged because of the environment of Google? Or do you find that that confidence was already in you and Google just kind of helped release that a little bit more? No, actually, I would say that this is something I had to work very hard at. In fact, it's something that I keep top of mind all the time. There are so many women who have approached me and said, if I could wish one thing for my own daughter, I would wish for her to have more confidence than I have had. And and that's hard for me to hear because, number one, I, I think that everyone can be confident if they work hard enough at it. And, and number two, I think that just because you may be in a certain position now and may have had a lack of confidence before doesn't mean you can't change that. So confidence is something that I, I've had to work very hard at. Um, I grew up in, in a very supportive environment, but an environment where you know, talking about your accomplishments was considered bragging and humbleness was much more appreciated. So, you know, for I, I can honestly say that my career progression at Google was probably delayed by about a year because I was not confident enough to speak out as much as I should have. And, and that's something that was, was rough to hear. But once I figured it out, I, I tackled it immediately. And I think the issue with confidence really is that we just need to believe in ourselves, number one. And number two, we need to understand that it's hard work. When we put the work in that we do, there's really no reason not to believe in ourselves. You know, it's one thing if you're going into a test and you didn't study for it and you didn't prepare, then yeah, you definitely should not be confident. But when you're working hard and, you know, striving to learn and improve on a constant basis, then there's no reason, there's really absolutely no reason not to believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody will. And no matter how hard you try to prepare or or to work, then if you don't have that confidence, it's just not going to have the same result. So I, I came to a conclusion probably about a year and a half into my career at Google that I was not going to let a lack of confidence hold me back anymore because one thing I have always been is an incredibly hard worker and incredibly determined, and it just seemed a shame to let a lack of confidence defeat that. So that was something that I, I have had to work very hard at. Um, I think because I had to work so hard at it initially, I appreciate it and respect it so much more. And, and it's given me a new perspective in terms of, you know, how, how I aim to teach my daughter, how I aim to help others develop that confidence in themselves as well. I really appreciate you um, sharing your story about how you kind of grew into your confidence. As you know, I, I coach a lot of women on confidence, and that's the number one thing that they always ask me is, can I really build confidence? And the answer is yes, absolutely. If you work hard and you take the time you know, to work on the inner, then you can build confidence, and you can slowly and slowly be able to take that risk, make sure that your voice is heard, and really get out of your own way. So thank you for sharing that it was a process for you. Absolutely. Um, you are, the last part of your book, I want to talk, jump to the end there, 
It was brilliant. I, I mean, I think the last sentence you put was, a true leader cares about people. And that would, that just topped it off for me when I finished the book. I was like, oh, what a great line. <laughs> Thank you. So can you just give us, um, for anybody that's listening, your top three tips? I know your book has more than that, but just the top three things that you, that you say, you know, being a great leader embodies these three things. Sure. I would say that the, the first and foremost, and I've touched on this a little bit is self-awareness. So Self-awareness, I think, can incorporate a lot of things. I think a lot of people hear about self-awareness and they think that it means, you know, just knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. But, but I actually think it's, it's a lot deeper than that. I think, and the reason I think this is so important is because confidence and self-awareness go hand in hand. I think it's very difficult to be confident if you're not on that deep level of, of self-awareness. So it's not just about understanding your strengths and weaknesses, but it's also about understanding how people will react to you. And and I want to give an example of what I mean by that. So it enables you to really tackle problems before they start and anticipate how people will perceive you or react to your actions and statements. And what I discovered at Google is that, unfortunately, perception is reality. So yes. what people envision of you is their reality of you, whether or not that is true. And to give you an example of how this played out for me at Google, I had a manager who was really struggling with her client and she, she was not at all solutions or solutions oriented. And the data actually painted a, a very poor picture for both her and her client. And rather than working to use the data we had to develop a new strategy, she became very defensive and complained about how inefficient the information was. And the information was actually a great deal of work that I had created in order to help her and, and many other managers do their job better, quite frankly. So rather than try to understand the data and, and incorporate it, she became very defensive and started to attack me personally. And she actually... Um, caused her boss and, and mine to say that I spoke with a Harvard accent and complained that I was too smart and, and not able to help her. And I, I don't know about you, but I grew up never thinking that being too smart could be a problem. But oh, definitely. definitely. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was it really made me laugh at first to hear her say that I spoke with a Harvard accent because I, I've been told I speak with a Michigan accent, but I definitely don't have that Boston twang. But anyway, <laughs> those are her words, not mine. So this was a case where I, I was lucky enough to hear about this over the phone from my boss, so she couldn't see my facial reaction. But now I came to a point where what what to do? And luckily, I was self aware enough to know that this was not an issue about me not being able to help her. This was not an issue about me acting arrogantly in any way. This was really an issue about a woman who was struggling and trying to define me in order to escape her problems. But at the end of the day, my job was to get all the managers to use the data properly with their clients. So, so I had a choice. I could either sort of argue with her and and try to make her look bad and point out her flaws, or I could find a way to convince her to use the data appropriately and move forward with her client. So I started to have these ridiculously themed parties around the data. I think Kung Fu Panda was coming out at the time, so I did a Kung Fu Panda theme for my first one. 
and I would give away prizes to managers who answered questions correctly. I had really cheesy slides with quotes from the movie, music. I even did candy and dessert, and you know what? It worked. So should I have had to make all that extra effort for a lazy and insecure manager? Absolutely not, but the end result is what mattered to me, and when you are self-aware, you can focus on the results instead of focusing on being self-conscious and taking things personally. So so that's why I think self-awareness is really one of the key things. Um, and, and how do you get to that level? You really have to listen to people and look for clues when they react to your statements and actions. So, you know, observing their words, observing their body language, and not being afraid to ask people how they feel, especially when, you know, you work closely with someone a lot of people are willing to share once you sort of open that door and give them an opportunity to do so. So um, self-awareness is, is by far definitely the number one because once you have that, I think it really helps you as you develop your confidence. And then the next point that also goes hand in hand with that is really owning your own brand. And it shocks me how few people or how little time people in general invest in actually establishing their own brand, which is really your, your most valuable asset. And if you look at these successful companies, Pepsi, Disney, there are so many of them, they spend billions and trillions just in their brand because they know how, how important it is. And you know, as I mentioned with my previous example, People like to categorize and make assumptions about you because it's easy. Mm. Their intent is not always bad, but the results most definitely can be. You cannot allow others to define your reputation because that could consequently define your future. So to give you another instance of this, people wanted to define me as a numbers girl at Google, and they did not want to acknowledge me as management material. And you might ask why, like, I definitely had the credentials to do so, but I was very good at my job and they needed my help. And then they also feared me as a competitor, as a manager. So they would try to put me down by saying things like, oh, you're such a numbers girl. I could never wrap my head around things like that the way you do, kind of like hidden insults, or I'm so much more of a people person. That's why I don't get it like you do, or... You don't have any sales experience at Google, so you really don't understand how we have to lead our teams. And these comments would infuriate me because obviously they weren't true. But again, I had a choice. I could either, you know, respond angrily, emotionally, and let them win, which would have been their intent, or I could take an action with clear focus and, and change their creation of my brand and create my own brand. You know, there are enough haters that I needed to prove them wrong. So I actually took on an extra full-time role at Google on a sales team, unpaid, completely unpaid, just to say that I had Google sales experience and no one ever dared to open their mouth again. Now, you know, again, as with my last example, should, should I have had to do that? Should I have had to take so much extra effort to prove myself that way? No, but at the end of the day, the results are what mattered to me because I was self-aware, I knew who I was, and I knew where I wanted to go, and I took the action to get me where I needed to be. So how, how do you own your own brand? You know, when it's a simple case of confusion, there are times where words can clarify, 
And I give an example of that in the book, but in other cases, as I just spoke now, words are not enough and you, you need to take action. So I always encourage people to look for extra opportunities to prove themselves and to really, um, you know, make sure that they are defining who they are and not allowing other people to do so. And then the last thing that I think is really key, particularly with some of our, our younger generations, is you absolutely have to earn your respect. Respect mm-hmm. is not an entitlement. It is a privilege to be earned. And being respected enables you to be influential and drive change. Nobody wants to follow somebody they don't respect, right? I mean, you just can't have that. You can't have people not respect you and expect to be a leader. And it seems like common sense for, you know, for us. But in fact, it's not in the real world. Unfortunately, it's far from it. And if I had to pick one lesson that probably shocked me the most during my time at, at Google, it was this one. Because in a place like Google, you you know, you expect everyone to be extremely hardworking, self-motivated, and, and part of a team. But there was an except there's always an exception. And I certainly had, had one on my team. I had a a woman on my team who was uh, fresh out of school. She had been used to being number one in everything at school. But unfortunately, she was struggling in her work. And I think what made it more challenging was her unwillingness to accept constructive criticism. So Google is, is a place where constructive criticism is highly encouraged and offered. You know, some places it's very difficult to get feedback from your peers, from your managers. At Google, it's a constant process and happening all the time. So lack of feedback was not an issue. But lack of progress certainly was. And, it, you know, we've tried many things with this particular individual that hadn't worked. And finally, I had to sit down with her and be very blunt and see what what else we could do. Because we tried, you know, performance plans, all kinds of things. And then her response was, I'm a millennial. I need to feel appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> and I can still picture the scenes today. I don't think I will ever forget this. I'm pretty sure my mouth dropped wide open. This was not a case where I was lucky enough to be on the phone and hiding my facial expression. But um, that that sort of triggered me to go into a totally different mode and, and be very blunt with her that, yes, I while I appreciated her as an individual and as a team member, uh, respect is something that has to be earned. And, and I made it very clear about how respect is earned by by supporting your team, by fulfilling your job, by accepting constructive feedback, and by constantly working to improve for you know the betterment of yourself and, and your team. And I've, I've heard this problem from so many people. I think recently a lot of people may have read about the woman who let, left Yelp and, you know, rather than try to, or she was let go from Yelp, but rather than try to make things better at her job, she took to the internet and wrote a very long letter against her her CEO and and attacking him instead of accepting responsibility and and working hard to change things. So, you know, how to earn respect besides working hard, obviously, and doing the right thing. You've got to be willing to acknowledge weaknesses and accept constructive criticism and be selfless, put put others first. You know, it it really is all about the team at the end of the day. But being respected just makes everything so much easier for you as a leader. And I, I can't I can't imagine anyone 
being able to really call themselves a leader if, if they are not respected. So those are, I would say, the top three things if I had to pick in terms of key leadership lessons. I want to touch base on that last one. I teach a college class every year to college freshmen, and this is something that every year gets a little bit more and more and more and more, <laughs> you know, that, that feeling of entitlement. And I always kind of like to think back on where this comes from. Do you think that as a society, things are getting easier for them? And so by the time they're ready to step into the real world and, you know, have that job and socialize with people, they are really just lacking, you know, a large amount of people skills? It's, I think it's a combination of factors. And, you know, it surprised me. I have, I have a daughter who's in preschool, and it surprises me to see how young this behavior really begins. Quite frankly, I will see children in, in the classroom at preschool age, and, you know, their, their expectations of what they should be able to do and what they should not be able to do are, are astounding and not in a good way. Mm. So I, I think this is a combination of things. I think, I think, quite frankly, it starts a little bit too young. I think that parents need to instill responsibility at a much younger age in, in children. By the time they're older, it, it's too late. And I think that to your point, there's definitely an influence in terms of, you know, instant gratification. Yes. So technology has made things a lot easier, a lot more accessible, but at the same time, it, it needs to be used appropriately, especially, especially with children. I mean, I can see kids who don't even have the patience to sit in line at the grocery store and I've seen siblings one sitting in the front of the cart and one in the back and each one has their own iPhone and they're playing they can't even talk to each other so I unfortunately think it starts at an early age uh, but I think I think we we can change that I think we need to work on you know encouraging responsibility acknowledging responsibility and and not making excuses for people who, who are not responsible. Mm, I 100% agree. Linda, thank you so much for your time. I'd love to jump into the power section, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. What's one book that you have read that's had a massive impact on your life that you would recommend to us? It's hard to pick just one, but <laughs> if I had to, I would absolutely recommend Different by Young Me Moon. I had the privilege of taking her course at Harvard Business School. And, and the reason I especially love this book is it, it's a book that talks a lot about different marketing examples, companies who have done well, companies who have not done well. And what I really love about this is it also gives examples of brands who are explicit about what they will not do. Mm. So I think today people are always trying to be everything to everyone, but that doesn't work as a leader and, again, as someone who's self-aware. You have to know yourself well enough to know what you can do and what you cannot do, what you should do and what you should not do. And you have to be able to identify your unique traits, what differentiates you from everyone else, and then completely maximize that. Mm. And, you know, on the contrary, you also have to be willing to take a hard, strong stand against what you will not do or, or who you will not be. And I don't think, you know, as we discussed earlier, I don't think people pay enough attention to how they brand themselves. 
And though the examples in this book are about companies and, and not necessarily individuals, I think they're completely relevant. And Young Me is also a very entertaining woman. So the way she writes, it, it's a, it reads easily, even though there, there are a lot of deep messages into it. It's, it's not a stiff marketing book at all. So a lot of people will say, well, I'm not in marketing, but at the end of the day, you need to market yourself. And, and that's why I really love this book for anyone who's trying to grow as, as a leader and as a person. I will definitely have to buy that one. I have to put it on my <laughs> list there. Um, what's one thing that you've accomplished that you're proud of? I will have to say, quite honestly, I am most proud of being a mother because now I have been blessed with this opportunity to guide someone to become a leader from birth. And it's an incredible journey that's taught me more about myself as well. There's just something inspiring about seeing things through the eyes of the child and having the opportunity to teach confidence so early on. And it makes me want to be a better person for, for her and for the rest of the world. So that by far would be the one thing I'm most proud of. I love that answer. And it's always interesting because I'm always curious to hear what guests say, because some will say, you know, my trophy or either this company or, you know, more materialistic things. But I always love to hear when somebody says, you know, my family or my daughter, my son. So thank you. Are there any routines that you have that help you get a positive rise in your life? Maybe a daily routine or something you do every morning? Yes, there, there definitely are. And I, I'm actually one of those people who loves the consistency of a routine. But over the past years, I've found that it's also important for me to be flexible and creative in order to constantly gain positive momentum. So, for example, the gym is like a reset button for me. No matter how bad my night or my previous day were, there's just something about a good workout that makes me feel alive again. Mm. Um, but some days my schedule just doesn't allow me to get to the gym. So I found that being creative actually helps me make that happen. So, okay, I can't get to the gym. That doesn't mean I can't work out. I will take my at-home workout and turn it into a game that my daughter can join in on. And now she's seeing me make fitness as a priority, and she's also having fun with it as well. So I think, you know, the key is once you know what those sort of triggers are to help you gain that positive rise, being creative to make sure that you can constantly get that. And then the second thing I would say is I also really strive to seek gratitude every day. I think no matter how bad things might be, one, they could always be worse. And two, there's still a lot to be thankful for. You know, even when I'm going through challenging times, I I find myself being thankful for the opportunity to grow and become a better person and, and to learn from the experience. So I think for me personally, making extra effort to feel and to share gratitude keeps me in a much more positive and motivated mindset. And, you know, if you think about it, nobody really likes to be around somebody who's negative and whining all the time. They just kind of bring you down. So, you know, as a leader, you really want to maintain that positive energy. And, and for me, no matter how busy my day is, I, I find there's always time to just be to seek gratitude. Mm. Linda, you've shared so many amazing tips and so much insight with us today. And again, it's been an honor to have you. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about or maybe one last golden nugget that you would like to share with us? Yes. I would just want to say there, there's one last thing. And, and that is that someone has asked me on social media, how, how are you applying any lessons you learned 
at Google in, in your life today. And I, I would say that I try to remember that every action and every word, no matter what the situation, counts for something. So I want to be the best person I can be at all times in both professional and personal environments. And it's definitely easier said than done, but it's certainly something I strive for. So every interaction you have with someone is a chance to be a leader, no matter what your job title is, whether you're at work, whether you're at home. I mean, even if you're in the grocery store and you see like this long line and you get to, to checkout counter, you can be a leader by having a positive attitude and actually asking the clerk, how was their day? I asked somebody at Target last week, how was their day? And she told me I was one in maybe a thousand people that ever actually asks her that when I go to pay my grocery for my groceries and things. So, I mean, being a leader, it, it's hard work, it's selfless and, and it's a need to give back. So just don't think that you need to have a certain title or position to do that. Think of every opportunity, every time you talk to someone or see someone, that's an opportunity to lead. I, as I mentioned, I have a daughter, you know, she watches me like a hawk. And I would imagine that every one of us has somebody who's watching us and secretly taking mental notes to learn from us. And, and we can be that example no matter where we are. That's, that is such amazing input. And I always say the same. I said, everyone is a teacher. Doesn't matter if you're sitting in the classroom or not, everyone is teaching and helping others. Thank you again for joining us today, Linda. How do we, how do we stay connected and and how do we support you? Do you have, um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, where can we find your book? Absolutely. The book is available at both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. If any of you get a chance to read it, I would absolutely love to hear your feedback. And I would also love it if you would like to follow me on Twitter. My handle is Linda underscore L-O-R. And then those are are great ways to connect with me. I also have my email listed inside the book as well. So I would love to hear feedback from all of you if you face similar challenges or if you found things in the book to help you with your career. I, I would just love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nada. That is the end of our episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. You can post it on social media and help us spread the word. If you aren't already, you can follow me, Natalina, the host and founder of Rise Up For You, all over social media at Rise Up For You. You'll find us on Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, Periscope, and Twitter. There's something new and different on every network, so be sure to check us out. There's a ton of empowering information that is being spread through our media outlets and we want to make sure that you get the full benefits of it. Thank you again for joining. We will see you next episode. Rise up for you. Be better today than yesterday and prepare for a greater tomorrow. Tomorrow.